Recorded live. Hello, everyone. This is Robert Johnson of Let'sRun.com, welcoming you to a special edition of Track Talk Live. We are just 15 feet away from the Tom Sawyer Louisville Cross Country Course, an hour before the 2015 championships began. We're just feet away from the three-mile mark. I'm here with Let'sRun.com's ace staff writer, Jonathan Galt, and we're going to be talking about the meet, what to expect. Um, it should be a great day, John. Uh, I'm pretty excited to be here, aren't you? Oh, I'm I'm so excited. I mean, there are very few meets that rival uh, the atmosphere of NCAA cross country, uh, chasing the riders around the course. It'll be a little more difficult to do it on this course, actually, um, than Terre Haute because uh, it's more spread out, so you don't get to see the, the athletes as much. But you know, seeing all the people, all the coaches, everyone's excited to be here. Uh, it looks like the weather is actually not going to be that bad. Currently about 50 degrees, uh, a few clouds, but it looks like the rain's going to hold up until after the races start. So that's nice. Not a ton of wind, uh, and of course, from running it yesterday, I ran it myself, and you know it, it seemed pretty, you know, in pretty good condition. There was a few muddy patches, but the ground stuff we spoke to hope that they, those would be cleared off uh, because it was very sunny and quite windy, windy yesterday. So uh, yeah, I think it's going to be pretty good conditions for this race. Yeah, I mean, I'm on weather.com right now. I mean, when we pulled up here about 20 minutes ago, you got out of the car and you said, wow, it's actually a great day to run cross country. It's showing 47 degrees, but when the women go off at 12 noon, we're looking at 50 degrees, just a slight south-southwest wind at 8 miles an hour. I mean, to me, I think that's the big story right now. Weather's going to be a non-factor. Mark Wetmore did not get the nasty weather. Um, it says rain possible at 2. Well, unfortunately, the, the men's race will be over at 1.30. Um, so... You know, let, let's talk about how that, you know, impacts. Um, well, let's start with the women's race. You know, I mean, that's first, so we'll go in order. Um, I think there's really two stories, you know, in the women's race. And, you know, it's, it's we've talked about it all week. Um, we've got the, the, the team battle. New Mexico, they're going to win. I mean, can you do you have any scenario where they somehow lose this meet? Uh, I mean, besides them maybe getting involved in a car crash or that, you know, and God forbid, I hope that doesn't happen, but unless they're some reason not on the start line, that's really the only way I see them losing because they essentially have four number one runners. Their number five would be uh, probably the number two runner for almost any other team in the country. I mean, Molly Renfer, she was 10th of the Wisconsin meet, and she was their number five runner. That's just insanity. So, uh, yeah, I, I think the question isn't, isn't, is New Mexico going to win? The question is, is New Mexico going to cement itself as the greatest team of all time? Yeah, it's a weird thing to, to talk about because, you know, New Mexico has never won an NCAA title. Coach Joe Franklin's never won one. Somehow they're going to win here and be the, potentially the greatest team ever. You know, of course, the lowest point total came way back in the first NCAA championship when there were only 13 teams. Virginia had 36 points. But if you're looking at the, the modern era, um, you know, 62 points, what was that, 2001? Brigham Young, yeah. You know, and that was the most since uh, Wisconsin had 58 in 1985, but there was only 15 teams in 1985. So since you've gone to the full 31 teams, 62 points is the historic number. Uh, and it would be interesting, you know, to you think a team that was going to be historic might be winning, you know, the second or third title, but to win the first and be the best ever is an interesting uh, dynamic. Do you think that that 62 points will go down? My My guess is yes. I, I think it will. I think they'll score somewhere between 50 and 60. Uh, obviously, you know, you never quite know. Michigan State, I think they scored about 85 last year. I was thinking they could score a little bit lower, but 
No, everyone. You know, to, to score in the 50s, New Mexico will have to get a good race out of uh, its entire top five. And no matter how you how good you are, you know, getting all five of your runners to run well on the same day is exceedingly difficult. But I think no matter how they run, I don't see them scoring more than uh, more than 80 points. Just that there's too much firepower up top, too much talent. And recently, uh, you know, they've, they've shown basically, you know, their six and seven runners could actually score for them. Uh, Whitney Thornburg and Helene Tambet, uh, both of them have run well recently. They were both running pretty well at the uh, the regional meet for them uh, when they sat out Alice Wright. So I think, you know, this team, I'm actually interested to see where their seventh runner is because I think their seventh is going to be higher than a lot of teams four and five. They certainly are a powerhouse. If you're just joining us, you're listening to a special edition of Track Talk Live. Let's run that comes Robert Johnson and Jonathan Galt. We are at the A.P. Sawyer, Tom, Tom Sawyer cross-country course just feet away from the mile three mark. We're seeing the runners warming up. Um, we just saw Alistair Craig in the parking lot in, the, in our amazing runner. We, John's like, I can't believe that guy never won an NCAA cross. So it, it's exciting. We've got even fans, you know, jogging the course. Um, I, we haven't really gotten to see if there's any tailgating because we we're in the media parking lot and, you know, official team parking lot. So obviously there's not going to be any drinking over here. But I'm, I imagine it's a crazy scene. It, was, it took forever to get in to the, uh, you know, the turnoff off the highway. Everybody's coming in from downtown. Because if you've never been here, but it's about 20, 25 minutes away from downtown Louisville where we're staying. Um, but it should be exciting. Um, if you want to join the call, we can actually take callers. You can dial in to 724-444-7444. Enter call ID 726-55-POUND. Um, individual title favorite is fast approaching Let's Run uh, official vehicle of Let's Run. Allie Ostrander and the Boise State women are taking their wall up around the course, and she's they're going very slow. I would say probably about eight minute pace, but uh, yeah, should be interesting to see how she does in the women's race about 55 minutes. Yep, the diminutive Ostrander wearing uh, you know the full, full uh, warm up suit. She she wearing gloves. A lot of the runners aren't wearing gloves. They're just sort of you know pulling their their shirt over their hand. Um, despite being from Alaska, you know, it was interesting yesterday at, at, at the pre-meet press conference, uh, Allie was there and she was wearing a, a winter cap. Um, so you think she'd be used to the cold weather, but apparently she likes to be warm at all times. I mean, she's so tiny. I mean, let, let's talk about the individual battle. I mean, she's obviously the favorite. We haven't had a freshman win since 1985. The only freshman, Susie Tuffy of Wisconsin. Not exactly. North Carolina State, I believe. Susie, yeah, North Carolina State. Not exactly a uh, household name. Um but, uh, you know, history would be made. I mean, really, the, the first freshman champion in, in the modern era, at least in 30 years. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she, she's won. She's undefeated. Uh, she, she's won race this year. She lost Roy Griot back in September to uh, Bethan Knights of Cal. And Bethan Knights has not raced since then. Uh, barring a miracle, she won't be lining up for Cal today. So, I don't. Did they make the team? I'm trying to remember if Cal actually qualified for me or not, but she won't be racing for that. Um, yes, yeah, so that was, you know, like a week or two after the World Mountain Junior Championships, which where Allie won the world title. And I was thinking about the weather. I mean, she's obviously done well this year when it's been muddy um, at the West regional. Yep, she won that quite convincingly in a, in a downpour in Seattle. And, and being a mountain runner, you know, I think that, she obviously is not a you know a, a muddy race makes it more of a longer race more, you know hilly. This course is pretty flat, so I'm wondering if these conditions are ideal for her. I mean, some people, you know, might, you know, think, 
I, I, I just think it makes it more like a track race. And, and I don't, you know, she's only ran 958 for 3,200 last year. The people that she's going up against, Molly Seidel of Notre Dame, Aislinn Cup of Stanford, you know, Aislinn's run 1511. I mean, that's faster than her two mile, keep going for another, you know, mile. So, do you think that these conditions are really going to be suitable for her? I, I don't think it's that big a concern, and I'll tell you why. She ran 1919 at the Wisconsin Adidas Invitational earlier this season. She, that's breaking Abby D'Agostino's course record by 12 seconds. Abby D'Agostino won NCAAs that fall. She dropped Dominique Scott, who has run 408 to 1500 like a bad habit in that race. Her and Molly Seidel broke away in, late in the race. So I think, you know, Ali Ostrand, she, she's capable of running very fast. She is not the same 958 high school two-miler that she was, uh, you know, back in May or June. She is definitely running on a different level this year. She admitted it at the press conference today. I think it's been obvious to all of us. So, you know, if she, could, if she runs in the 19-teens, 1920s, I mean, t- today, that's probably going to be enough to get the win. Indeed. And as those of you that are listening, if you have questions that you want us to answer, you don't feel if you don't have the guts to call into the show, you Post them into the talk shoe client if you're listening via the client or on the Let's Run Thread. Um, again, we're at the mile three mark. Wow, Jonathan, look at that cute little puppy coming by. We've got a 50 year old man with a little, uh, what is that, a Labradoodle puppy? Uh, no dog, actually, Robert. Oh, I, you know, those of you that uh, don't know me personally, I've just got a puppy, some little dog obsessed. This is a great Venus point. We've got team after team just uh, rolling through. These are sweet warm ups. Hot tell who this is. Wow. If only we knew. They've got a uh, gray and white. Uh, sort of camo or something? Yeah, camo. They, they can't, I was going to say Oregon because they always have, but there's no hint of. Yeah, interesting. Um, but, you know, the one thing that if Astrander doesn't win, I think one thing that we can agree on, John, is the footlocker curse comes to an end. I, I only see three people winning this race Ostrander or Molly Seidel of Notre Dame. Or Aisling Cup of no, Stanford. No lot to Tom Scott. No, I mean, she's a fantastic 1500 runner. I mean, I guess she was the NCAA runner-up in the 10K and the 5K. I just don't believe she's taking that big doors. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's possible. But she did get beaten convincingly by both Seidel and uh, Ali Ostrander at Wisconsin. Since then, she's dominated, but so have those other two. So, yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting. I think if Ostrand, you asked me earlier, do I take Ostrander or do I take Cuff and uh, and Seidel, and I think it's obvious you take Cuff and Seidel together because Ostrander may be good, but I don't think she's the overwhelming favorite that uh, Edward Cheserek is in the men's race. And Seidel yesterday was saying in the press conference, you know, she feels that, though she hinted at this at least, that she feels she's a lot better than she was uh, when she got defeated at Wisconsin. So I think, you know, it's it's interesting though that there's no footlocker champion. It you know we. We talk about it a lot, but it's a crazy stat that no one, none has ever won on the women's side at NCAA Cross. Right, and the Foot Locker Championship actually predates the NCAA Championships. Foot Locker started in 79, NCAA started in 81. Um, yeah, I mean, Seidel's, I mean, she almost acted like the Wisconsin meet yesterday at the press conference was like a preseason meet. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, coming in, uh, the, the Coaches Association did a fantasy draft, and if I had the first pick, I was going to pick Ostrander. But given these conditions, you know, she's so. Um, tiny. One of the things is thinking. Well, how would she be good at mud? But she's so light. I think she would just not even get in it. She just runs on top of it almost. I mean, um, I, I just don't think these conditions are ideal for her. And I'm going to pick Seidel. That's my pick. Um, I mean, Cuff is basically just as good as Seidel, but 
she's sort of been, you know, in she's been off the sidelines a lot. You know, at the beginning of the season, Chris Milkenberg. Yeah, you know, he said that was for injury precaution, but then he admitted that she in the last month has picked up a calf injury. I just think you need to be a hundred percent to win this thing. And look at Seidel, since she lost, I mean, she won the ACCs by 32 seconds. I mean, that's not a joke of a conference. And when she lost to Ostrander, it was only by three seconds. So, you know, you're talking, what, uh, seven weeks later, five weeks later, you know, from that loss. So, you know, I mean, three seconds, I, I, I think it's going to be fantastic. So, um, well, last time this race was here, we had a uh, three-way kick for the title. Bessie Steinem, um, Abby D'Agostino, and Jordan Nassay. You know, you could easily see that uh, again this year. Speaking of Dominique Scott, there's she and Arkansas ladies are coming by. It's actually interesting, you know, the psychology of a team. Both when Boise State came by and Arkansas, the number one runner in the case, you know, Scott for Arkansas, Shannon for Boise State, were both running in the front in the middle. And there was sort of like a phalanx behind them. It was like almost like a, uh, a flock of geese, you know. She's in the middle and they're sort of slanted. Know, that down behind her. So, um, you know, it, it, the women's race, I, I think, is going to be fantastic. You know, one thing about Ostrander, and it's not necessarily something that a lot of people want to talk about, but when I met her, saw her for the first time in person yesterday, I was stunned by how tiny she is and how young she is. I mean, I was like, what is this middle schooler doing at the, at the cross-country conference? And I am worried about her long-term, you know, I mean – there's going to be some serious development she's got to go through here in terms of, you know, Jordan has went through and is able to have a good career, you know, but a lot of women struggle when they mature physically. So I honestly think that this may be her best shot to win an NCAA title because I think there's definitely going to be some growing pain because I don't, I, you know, I've never seen an adult woman that tiny in my entire life. And so I, I think she, right now she's more of like a teenage child, you know, from a physical standpoint. Um, you know, I, I don't know. It may not be politically correct to say, but I, I, I just, you know, I've got to call a spade a spade. She is very small, Robert, and that's about all I have to say on that. <laughs> John, John, Jonathan Galt taking a no comment. Um, so, so now we're going to move on to the men's side. We got looking at the chat box. Um, people are saying they thought this was live radio from the course. We are from the course, folks. We are exactly on the course. I mean, we could do. I could step out the car and I would pull onto the course in about three steps. We could actually stand on there and do it, but we didn't want to because the wind is blowing. So um, we're standing right on the turn, right by the three mile mark, um, watching the ladies' teams warming up just 46 minutes away from the start. It should be a fantastic day. Um, moving to the men, let's start with the individual title. I mean, because that's going to be a, a quick conversation, I think. Uh, Edward Chedrick, Two in a row. No one in history has won three in a row on the men's side. Um, Sally Kipiego has won three in a row on the women's side. Jonathan, are you in, in agreement with me? If you offer to take Cheswick or the field, you've got to take Cheswick. Yeah. Yep. I would have done it last year. Um, you know, not much has changed. You want a bunch more NCAA titles on the track. Uh, you know, Jonah Coach is very good. I think Road Teach is very good. Thomas Cutton is very good. They're, they're Mark Scott's very good. You know, it's, and winning NCAAs isn't a joke. You know, Chedrick has to run a solid race, but this guy has just proven so many times that he can win so many different kinds of races. He's got he – clo- I mean, I've, I've watched him close the 10K in 24 points. This guy is a phenomenal end of race speed. I think at this point, you know, he's not going to let someone get a big lead on him like uh, Thomas Cutton did at pre-Nats. 
you know, if it's if he's a big pack with 2K to go, he is going to pull away. I just don't see anyone closing with him, and I don't know if any of these runners are strong enough to drop him early on. I agree with you. You know, I, I really hope that the race is an honest one. I, it would be great to see a Kurt or someone, you know, take it out. You know, I mean, I, at the press conference, one of the questions is, why do you guys jog for AK and then, and then you know, make it a 2K race? And, and uh, who was it, John, that said, well, I think sometimes we just overthink it a little bit. That was Pat Cannon who said that. And, uh, you know, he, he said he's actually a contender as well. He's undefeated him and Mark Scott, the only two undefeated men on the year coming into this race. But he said last year, you know, he was ninth as a true freshman, and then last year he was only 18th. He said he put a lot of pressure on himself. Um, but this year, you know, he's trying not to take it as seriously, and hopefully, you know, that will be a better result for him. But Cesarek basically was also asked the same question, why do people jog? And his response was basically, I like to relax. I like to run with my teammates for as long as possible before moving. And then when I do move, you know, I make a hard move. So, and the fact that he's the best guy, often that dictates the race. Yeah, you know, a lot of the top individuals are from the top teams. And, you know, yesterday at the press conference, all of the top individuals wanted to take the pressure off themselves. Chetra was like, I like to run with the team as long as possible. Um, Ternan didn't want to talk about whether he was going for the individual championship. Um, so, you know, I mean, Chetra wouldn't even admit that he had learned a lesson from Curtin, you know, gapping him. He didn't even agree that, that he would automatically not let someone gap him. So it'll be interesting. You know, I was – Joking, and I think don't know, John. If you picked up on my sarcasm, I'm like, let's run. Should offer a thousand dollar bounty to whoever's in the lead, like the five K mark. Sort of finally opposed to that sort of proposition, Robert. This is a championship race. I don't want any outside entities affecting the outcome or how the race plays out. What What about in five years if we keep having this? It's going to be so unspectator friendly. Well, yeah. If, if that's the case, maybe you know, maybe someone like maybe John Legere needs to, to take it on himself. Yeah, yeah. Bonus. Indeed. Those of you that are going to be watching on TV, you'll be it'll be easier to spot the BYU women. They all have matching bright, like almost sun bows in their hair. Yeah, yeah you know, yellow. I mean, greenish, sort of go in the dark green bows in their hair. So they'll be easy to, um, to, to spot. So moving towards, you know, um, well, one more thing about Cheswick. You know, I, I think that. If he lets it go slow, do you think he could be possibly, you know, vulnerable to coach? You know, the Utah freshman has run 146. Um, before the season started, Oklahoma State's Dave Smith, who, who recruited <laughs> coach and really wanted him to go there, said this guy is the real deal, and he's definitely shown that to be the case. So, you know, you, you want to leave it. You know, I, I think Cheswick left it in the kick at 10 relays. Now, of course, leaving it to a final 800 and a DMR and a 1600 left is a lot different than leaving it to the last 800 of a 10K. But do you think that, you know, Cheswick's vulnerable if he lets him go to the last 800? Like, I'm assuming he's going to go with about 2K. But let's say he waits to the last 800. Is he more, more, Is that the way you think he's most vulnerable? Absolutely. I mean, the longer you wait, the more thing, you know, the, the longer you wait, the, the more variable it becomes because you let so, so those big kickers into it. Can Jody Coex really pull off a long kick from 2K out? I don't know. But can he do it from 800? I think the chances are a lot better than from 2K. And this is a guy, you know, we he has been beaten several times this year, but we really don't know what he's fully capable of because frequently he has just run with teammate Anthony Rotich right through the line. Uh, and, you know, at pre-Nats, he wasn't that far behind Edward Chedrick. And that was sort of that same kind of race where they're kicking uh, very late. Obviously, Thomas Curtin was in front, and he ended up winning that. But, you know, I think Coach. 
I, I compare him to sort of other guys like Edward Cheserek and Kennedy Pasuka. That, that first year in the NCAA, they come in, people don't necessarily think they're going to be a massive threat to the defending champion, and yet they emerge victorious. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't pick him over Cheserek, but if it's close with 800 to go and he's there, I would be very scared. Indeed. Um, you know, one of the questions in the chat box, and again, if you're just joining us, you can join. You can ask us questions by typing into the TalkShoe client um, if you're listening that way or talking, posting in the Let's Run thread, or you can actually call into the show at 724-444-7444. Um, whatever, you can see it on the TalkShoe client. I had a, one too many fours in there. But uh, w- one of the fans wants to know who's going to be the top American in the men's race. And if you look at the Let's Run.com contest results, and fans, if you haven't entered, you still got 39 minutes to enter the contest. You could win $200,000. You could also result in an immediate unemployment of Jonathan Dalt because we don't have that type of money sitting around. But, um, anyways, the fans think. Why are we promoting this contest again? <laughs> hey, John, it's not going to happen. It's like hitting the uh, billion dollar bracket, the Yahoo billion dollar bracket in, in the NCAA. Uh, basketball, um, you know, the fans obviously think that Virginia Tech's Thomas Curtin is going to be the top uh, American. He's ranked third on the list. And then it is, you know, interesting. you got Patrick Turner. He's Australian. Justin Knight's picked fifth. He's Canadian. Mark Scott is English. And then Sean McGordy, Stanford. I mean, what a stud. Uh, do you think it's really Curtin or McGordy? I mean, I mean that's Mason Furlick's next. Pierce Mercy of Colorado, Amar Musa of Colorado. But when you get down to the Musas and the Colorado guys, they're probably going to play it a little bit safe and run as a pack, at least for the first, you know, five or six games. Well, I mean, I didn't feel like Amar Musa a little short, though. Remember, this guy was fit last year. I mean, you know, the, the Colorado guys, we don't really know. Pierce Murphy has been an number one guy all year. I think he will finish in the top ten. But these other guys, you know, could spring a big one at the right time. And uh, that's proven at these championship races. I've never count them out, but I think to get back to the South American discussion, I mean, I think Curtin has to be the favorite, right? Because he outkicked uh, Justin Knight to win the ACC championships. Sean McGordy uh, was outkicked by Justin Knight at Wisconsin. And Curtin also beat Edward Cheserak in a very good field at Wisconsin, at uh, Prenat. And, you know, granted, they did let him amass the lead, but holding off guys like him and Rotic and Jonah Kowach and Murphy, you know, holding those guys off for, uh, you know, the entire 8K race, that's that's very impressive, and you've got to be strong to do that. So I think Cotton, you know, based on this year's results, it will be disrespectful not to think he's the favorite for South America, but I could see someone like McGordy, maybe P.S. Murphy. Uh, I, I think McGordy's probably the second best out of the bunch just because he was second to, at uh, Pac-12 to Cheserak, and he was third at the Wisconsin team. Yeah, I mean, the Let's Run Nation has, you know, Ben Zarell, Jim Rosa, Joe Rosa, 13, 14, 15. Personally, I know that what you know, based on their past accomplishments, that's probably about right. But based on where they are this year, I think that's a little high, and I think this is a natural segue into the men's team discussion. Um, Colorado, they've won two in a row. They've been ranked number one all season long. They haven't lost a meet. Um, you know, if you hear that at, at surface value, you think, okay, they're going to win this thing going away. But in reality, they only beat Stanford by 11 points in Pac-12. Stanford's coach Chris Miltonberg yesterday said if this meet was held two weeks ago, we're not a very good team. So he thinks they've improved a lot. Jim Rosa's gotten a lot healthier. Um, he moved out. He's only, what, 21st at Pac-12? 
think he was 20th. Yeah. And then, you know, the last major was running with their top guys at, at the regional. So, um, you know, if you put him with, with his brother Joe at Pac-12, it's basically a tie between them. So this could be anyone's match. And then don't forget Syracuse. I mean, they've been there, you know, uh, all season long. They've, they've got a great superstar in Justin Knight. They've got, um, you know, when they're Bobby fit. Hayer and Colin Benny, I mean, th- those two with Knight, that's probably the best one, two, three punch in the country. You put them up against anyone. They, they roll in the top six in Wisconsin, and that's that's incredibly hard to do. Yep, and then, uh, you know, the, when you're looking for the fifth there, you've got a 28-45 guy. It's pretty ridiculous how good Syracuse is, and all props go out to Chris Fox and Brian Bell for building that program. And when they got there, you know, about a decade ago, they hadn't been to the meet since 1974. So it's been a fantastic run for those guys, and, and Syracuse is definitely in the mix. But I, I think, you know, most people are sort of looking at Stanford and, and, and Colorado, um, you know, because I – Syracuse probably needs one of those two teams to have a little bit of an off day, but you think that's a fair assessment? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Chris Fox has been, you know, has been candid about this this year. Uh, he said, well, I asked him after the Northeast Regional, what would it take for Syracuse to uh, beat Colorado and win the whole thing? He was basically like a flu epidemic in Boulder County. And, you know, I think that's selling his team a little bit short. He said all season the goal is to get a trophy. I think they're very well positioned to do that. But, you know, he knows. Stanford, Syracuse, they've been getting a lot of talent recently, but they still don't quite get the, you know, A-plus recruits, the Grant Fishers of the world that will end up in Stanford. So, you know, in terms of pure talent on the team, I think Colorado and Stanford are probably a little bit ahead. But Syracuse, it, you know, it would not take a miracle for them to win. They'd have to run a very good race, and the other two teams would have to run, you know, have a bit of an off day. Right. I mean, it's weird. Stanford probably has to do what Colorado has done in the past, just run real solid, come on late, and, and get the job done. Um, you know, when you look at the um, at the uh, Stanford versus Colorado thing, you know, the thing that jumps out about me about Colorado is how experienced they are, and I really think that's important for men's for men's runners in particular. Um, they've got four of the seven are redshirt seniors, you know, fifth year seniors. Um, so the pressure is not going to get to them. No, I mean, look at Penis Murphy and Amal Musa. They've already scored for a podium team at three NCAA championships. That's incredible. I mean, very few guys get to be a part of a podium team, you know, more than more than once or twice. And these guys are going for their fourth podium and third straight team title. So they are not going to be phased at all. They've been to this. They've done this dance before. And that's the same for pretty much everyone on the Colorado roster apart from uh, the true freshman, John Dressel. If you're just joining us, this is Robert Johnson along with Jonathan Galt of Let'sRun.com. We are talking to you live from the three-mile mark of the 2015 NCAA Cross-Country Championships, which get underway in 34 minutes. We, the women's teams, one after another, just keep running right by us. We're only about, you know, if you actually cut the course, about 200 feet from the, 200 yards from the start line. Here comes the women of Michigan State. Uh, defending champions. The defending champions. And there's actually been a lot of turnover this year on the men's side. I mean, we've got two podium teams from last year, Northern Arizona and Wisconsin. Oh, Portland. Um, that aren't even here. Portland was the other podium team. Wisconsin oh, is yeah. also not yeah. here. They finished in the top ten and had been to 43 straight NCAA championships. So, yeah, so we've got three traditional powers that aren't even here. But um, let's talk about the weather and how this could impact the men's race. Because I think it could be very substantial in the men's team title. Um, you know, Wetmore yesterday, as he was leaving the press conference, we went up to I went up to him and asked him about the weather, and he said, oh, I want it as crazy as possible. I prefer that there's fire on the course. 
And instead, we've got nothing. I mean, we've got, you know, partly cloudy skies. Um, but, you know, Wetmore probably wishes that this was in, in, just in Terre Haute right now because, you know, we looked at the weather last night. It looked like it was going to be raining at 35 degrees. It would have been a real test of will up there. So. It would have been no fun to cover that race, though, Robin, and fly it to the bowls. But, um, you know, one of the things I think that, and, and several people have said this to us or um, and agree, agree with this assessment, Grant Fisher seems like a runner that would benefit. You know, he likes it. He was only, you know, what, uh, Pac-12, so 11th. Yeah. So, you know, 11th, I mean, that's not bad for a freshman, but John Russell was higher up in, in what, 6th? Russell's 6th, yeah. So he got beat by another freshman, and I feel like, some of that could have been the fact that Dressel obviously thrived in the mud there. I mean, at pre nats Dressel was only the fifth or sixth guy for Colorado, 49th place. 46 place, yeah. yeah, and all of a sudden he's their second guy, Pac-12 is and six. So, to me, the key, one of the huge keys for, for Colorado, if Dressel runs like that, it's going to be hard to see them losing. But with a setback and, and the conditions more like a track, at Fisher, he may run like Dressel, and then you've got a big swing there. Well, I think it's interesting. I mean, Dressel, one thing we do need to point out is what, when he was 46 at pre he fell early in the race. And, uh, you know, it, it's difficult in a field that big to climb back. And that's the one thing, actually, athletes in this race need to be careful for. Uh, there's a gully at about, you know, 500, 600 meters uh, towards the end of the first straightaway. And, you know, it, it seemed that the footing there seemed fine. I don't think it was a big problem. But it's very uneven. Basically, you have to find a point to uh, cross this little dip in the course. And, you know, if there's a pileup there and your team's involved, that that can be a huge problem, especially if someone uh, decides to take the race out fast. But to your original point, you know, Fisher, I, I think, you know, we talked to uh, a coach yesterday and saying Fisher's a rhythm runner, you know, and he thinks that the better conditions here you know, would play to his strengths as opposed to muddy conditions. But I also, you know, give the guy some credit. He's from Michigan. You know, it's not like he's been – training in, uh, you know, San Diego for his entire career. This guy, you know, he's used to poor weather, but today, you know, I think the guy's so talented, I expect him to be in the probably in the top 30, I would think. He's just so good, and you know, I think 10K, Chris Miltenberg said he thinks Grant Fisher can run a good 10K. He just doesn't think he can run two in eight days, and that's why he held him out of the West Regional. Yeah, I mean, and Miltonburg, you know, talked about the 30 or 40 range yesterday. But, I mean, based on his high school accomplishments, that's underselling him. I mean, this is a guy that could be like uh, Ben Sorrell in a top 10 as a freshman for sure. And that would really help, you know, their cause. Um, it, it's going to be, you know, r- real interesting just that battle between Stanford and Colorado. Um, and, I, you know, the, the point about Russell falling, I'd forgotten about that. Thank you, John. That's a really big point because – 49th of Wisconsin is not that great. 46th of pre-nats. I mean, 46th of pre-nats, you know, but top six at, at Pac-12s is amazing. So, that, you know, that's something to be looking at there. And, you know, I think when you look at the team battle, the big advantage Colorado has is they've got more depth. Stanford really falls off after number five. I mean, you've got um, McGordy, the two Rosas, um, Fisher, Fisher Garrett and Garrett Sweat, you know, who was 68th last year. He's a top 29th 10K guy, though, so he, he's a he's a good number five. Yeah, he's solid. But then after there, there's a big drop off. Whereas, if one of the if one of Stanford's top five has an off day, they're probably finished. Where Stanford, you know, Colorado, pretty much, really any of their seven, could, you know, even if they had theoretically two guys, not run well, they could 
certainly get by number six. Maybe you know, Ali Ostrander, she's doing a second warm-up loop here coming by us without the company of her team this time. Uh, she's got a little quicker. Looking good, looking good. Yeah, Ali looks like she's almost running tempo pace right there. Yeah. Wants to make sure she's fully warmed up. Um, she, you know, she didn't seem overly nervous. She just seemed like, you know, she's a little surprised at how well she's doing. But, uh, you know, very interesting at the press conference. You know, looking at the chat box, somebody did not like my comments about how small she was. And they said, you know, the other African, recent African winners, uh, uh, you know, uh, are that small. And I don't agree with that st- statement. I mean, Sally Kipiego is nowhere near her size. And I was actually asking you, John, last night. I said, well, Jordan Hussain was really small, but you, you know, disagreed that she's anywhere. Jordan Hussain was not that small. I mean, just seeing, I was trying to the press conference yesterday, and seeing how skinny her legs were, her calves, they just, you know, I, I can't think of a, you know, I can't think of an elite runner who is that small. And obviously, you know, she's freshman in college. She's going to still grow a little bit. But, uh, I, you know, Jordan Hussain was bigger than she was in college. Sure. Um, the uh, Anyways, if you have questions, you can put them in the chat box. You're listening to Let's Run.com, um, Trek Talk Live, live from the Tom Sawyer course. One of the chat box was saying that Stanford men won't be top four. And that is an interesting, you know, comment. I mean, let's face it, Stanford's a team a lot of people love to hate. You know, they're, they're super smart. They've got a beautiful campus. They get a lot of recruits. Um you know, there's a lot of, you know, it's sort of maybe envy is why people like to see them fail. You know, it it, it happens in all walks of life. But in recent years, and, I, you know, I'm going back for 10 years. Now, last year, Stanford did well in this meet. They came in only ranked ninth, and they finished second. So that was very good for Chris Miltonberg's guys. But his first two years at Stanford, the NCAA men's meet, were an absolute disaster. And there's no way to get around that. I mean, in 2013, they came in ranked fourth, John, finished 19th. 2012 team in tied for second, finished 16th. I mean, those are total, total bombs. And most these seniors on that team are part of that. So, um, you know, if you look at it historically, going back over the last 10 years, and I've done it comparing them to Colorado, just based on their rankings coming into the meet. So this is even predating Coach Goldberg. I'm not trying to put this on him. I mean, he has the one national title on the women's side of Georgetown, but coaching men and women is different. But so this is probably going back to Lanana in 2005. But um, over the last 10 years, on average, Stanford, based on their regional ranking and where they finished the Nationals, is down 42 points, so an average of four points less. Whereas Colorado basically runs what they come in ranked at. I mean, they're only down two points, so you know, net, it's 0. 0.2, 0.2 per year. So um, are you worried that, you know, the boys from Palo Alto will get a little bit, uh, you know, something stuck in their throat today? I, you know, it's a concern, and I don't, you know, level that on a coach necessarily. I just think that when you look at Stanford's roster compared to Colorado, they're a more high-variance team. You know, the Roses, these guys, when they're fully healthy and on their game, they're, you know, top 10 talents for sure. Jim was fifth in 2013, but the issue with them is they have been injured this year. You know, uh, Jim, they were days away from deciding to have another knee surgery that would basically end his, uh, end his cross-country career. And instead, they said, you know, we'll try and tough it out. And he was running 15 minutes in September, and then he decided, you know, all right, I'll give it a go. And Joe as well has, has dealt with nagging hamstring injuries. So I think those guys, they're not sure things, though, you know, if they run a great race, obviously they'll help Stanford. Fisher, again, super talented, but he's a freshman. And then, you know, Sweat was has run well, but he was 68th last year. That's not really 
you know, that maybe you could make do with that as your fifth man this year to win the title. But I think just looking across their roster, the only guy I think is a sure thing is Sean McGordy to uh, finish, you know, somewhere pretty high up. And that's, I think that's why Stanford would run, you know, outside of the top four at the podium is because they're just more a high-variance team as opposed to any sort of choke. Yeah, and one of the things, you know, the, the Roses and stuff, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, they were a lot younger back then. So, you know, that's one of the things that uh, Syracuse coach Chris Fox was talking about, Martin here. You know, his first two years here, here was only in the hundreds, you know, but when, when he had – People asked him about that last year. He was 38, which is a little bit disappointing for him. But when people, when he was asked about that in the media, he said, "Well, freshman year, I was a freshman. You know, that, that wasn't too bad for me. Um, you know, last year he was probably hoping for top 20, top 25. So 38 wasn't a total disaster. But it's hard to do it when you're young. And you know, the Stanford guys are a, a little bit older. Uh, we're getting some text message questions from famed author Chris Lear. Chris wants to know, John, um, you know, does Colorado go out slow or up front? Well, I think it. It sort of depends on the race. If you see someone pushing the pace early, they're going to have to make sure they're in position to at least, you know, not be totally left in dust. But I think that their MO generally is to go out relatively slowly and work their way up. And uh, I think, you know, as long as this isn't a crazy fast pace to start, that should work work out okay for them. And, you know, that's an approach I think the athletes are comfortable with. You know, they have the confidence that, yeah, we'll be moving up. We'll have the best 2K of anyone in the field. And so – that's sort of the strategy I would expect from them. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, the, the, the uh, Murphy was seeing yesterday at the press conference that um, they've been getting out a little bit more, you know, they're more experienced, they're getting out a little bit faster than they have in the past. And I think that's probably a good strategy on this course because it's not going to be a mud bath. It's not going to run long. You're going to have less time to catch up. But I, I think Colorado's going to do what they always do. I mean, they, they do work their way up through the field. Right. Um, the big reason for this is they just, Murphy said, you know, they like to run together. So how how is it easier to run together? Well, it's easier if you go out a little slower because you can keep your pack intact. You don't need to be getting through all the traffic to make sure everyone's up near the front. So that's uh, that's one of the reasons why they like to run slower is so they can run together. The um, people want to know about the undefeated women. We've got the, uh, what's her name, Fernandez? Blanca Fernandez of Temple. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that's, that would be a real shocker if she wanted, but it's a good story. Um, and actually, these two results would Adam State has upset Grand Valley State for the for the championship. So exciting to hear about that. Um, the uh, I'm trying to read the chat box here. There's some uh, inappropriate <laughs> inappropriate chat to say the lo- the least in there. Um, you know the uh, w- John. Do you have any ideas like of any teams maybe that Sort of. I mean, it's, it's such a top-heavy sport. We're fo- we're focusing on the individual winners, yeah, and you know the individual teams. Like, but are there any team, you know, teams under the radar that you think might make a big jump or overdo? You know? Okay, I'll give you two. I'll give you one for each gender. Uh, UTEP men. There may be a six-man team, but you know, we were talking to uh, I, I think it was Dave Smith who was saying this yesterday about Oklahoma State. I mean, basically. They're going to be scoring three guys because Roteach and Koesh, they're both going to be probably in the top five or six. And that's just a tremendous advantage. It's not like the rest of the guys are chopped liver. They did make this meet. They won the Notre Dame meet earlier in the season. You know, they come in, I believe they're ranked uh, seventh or so. So to see them on the podium, you know, I don't think it would take much. The only problem is their margin for error is very short because they only have six guys. So if one guy has a bad race, then that's another six rider. Two guys have a bad race. They could be way back in the field. So I think that's a team to watch. 
on the men's side. On the women's side, again, I like the low stick idea of a couple guys carrying the team to a, a podium finish. And the team that can follow that recipe is Notre Dame. They have Molly Seidel. She's obviously going to be, you know, top three or four, I think. And then they also have another footlocker champion, Anna Aurora, who was second to Seidel at both ACC's and the um, Great Lakes Regional. She could absolutely finish in the top ten because, like Grant Fisher, she's a two-time footlocker champion in high school. And it's also generally easier for freshman women to make the transition to college than it is for freshman men. So, she, you know, if, if her and Seidel are both in the top ten, it wouldn't take that much to see Notre Dame uh, on the podium. Indeed. And, you know, there's a lot of great stories behind these teams that we're talking about for the top. I mean, Penn's here for the first time since the 70s. Got a couple first-time teams in the meet. Um, but, anyway, John, looks like the race is starting in 19 minutes. We need to get out and get situated on the course. And I think, though, the fans deserve to have some predictions. Um, I guess I'll, I'll start on the women's side. That's the first. Individually, I, I just – I would love to see Ostrander – win. It would be a fantastic story. It's just amazing. She runs the World Mountain Champs. She's just doing her own thing, and she wins. I mean, don't get me wrong, people. Just because I talked about how tiny she is doesn't mean that I don't like her and, and, and sort of want to see that happen. But also, a great story, you know, from a media standpoint, would be to see the Footlocker curse ending. I think the Footlocker curse will end. Um, so, we, you know, we've got 19 minutes to start. When will the race be over, John? I'm trying to figure out how many minutes this curse has to live. About 1930, give or take. So, you know, by 40 minutes from now, the end of the curse. Uh, I, I'm going to pick Seidel just because Cuff's been not racing as much. That's my pick for the thing. Obviously, I'm going with the New Mexico women. What about you? Yep, New Mexico, but I'm going Australia. I mean, she she beat the best women at Wisconsin 1919 on that course is no joke. And, you know, look, it, it's, it's, it's even. You know, Seidel is very good. Ashley Cuff's very good. But Australia has given me fewer reasons to doubt her than the other two, so I'm going her. Um, on the men's side, before we get to the predictions, one guy is demanding in the chat box. We talked about Jacob Burke, and we were actually talking to his coach last night um, after dinner, and um, you know, former former UVA and Stanford coach, and he's you know, Burke was such a what he went three forty six as a sophomore in high school, amazing, and he's really finally got it together in college. Hadn't done much the first couple of years. You know, he's the he's the regional champ. I, I expect that guy to be in the top twenty for sure. Oh, absolutely. I was talking to you know two coaches last night that they were thinking this guy, the lowest position. They said ninth and twelfth is what they have guesses for where he would finish. And uh, I could absolutely see that, and I hope he does that because he's on my fantasy team. And what about the Oregon men, John? Do you think they're over or underranked in number seven? Well, I think that's about fair to them. You know, they like Oregon. They always have a lot of talent, but two of them most talented guys and two of their best guys on their roster, Henry Anderson and Matthew Mayton. They're true freshmen. So, you know, they'll have the advantage. They're only scoring four runners in essence. But, you know, Oregon last year, I believe they were sixth, and that was going one-two in the field. I don't think that tremendous – you know, they're about the same probably talent-wise and ability-wise as they were last year. And, they, you know, you know, they're a little bit deeper, but they also lost Jenkins. So, I think that's pretty much a yeah, fair ranking. It might be harder to finish that high. Tell people in the chat box, guess number 78, you are in the right box. Just if you log in, you don't see the previous post. Um in terms of the, uh, you know, I mean, we don't even need to talk about the individual title. We're both taking Cheshire, right? Okay, but in terms of the team title, this is my prediction. Well, John, why don't you tell me who you think you went first, and I'm going to give a wacky prediction. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I hate to go chalk with this, but 
I went short last year at NCAAs and got all four races right. I mean, it was pretty predictable. This one, I think, I just like the consistency and the championship experience with Colorado. This team hasn't lost in two years. Uh, I don't think they can lose today. And I've been worried all week. Or, you know, not worried, but, um, you know, I, I've been thinking that there's going to be a, a sort of an upset. I mean, Pac-12, they barely won. I mean, they won by 11 points. And I'm like, wow, if you put Rosa up there. But uh, I was going to pick Stanford. But given the fact that, you know, Coach Miltenberg said that Jim Rosa wasn't even running until mid-September, I just don't see how he's going to be high enough up. If they win, they're going to need a monster performance. I'm thinking top 15 from Fisher. So I think Colorado is probably the right pick. They've got room for one guy to have an off day, and they can still get the job done. But this is what I'm going to say here. Colorado will win if Ben Sorrell beats Cornell's, where I used to coach Ben Ranero. Ben Ranero, um, fifth at Hepps, is having a great year, and we're projecting him right around 35 or 40. So all-American performance for him is good. And, you know, if Sorrell is an All-American, I don't see Colorado losing, basically what I'm saying. Um, you know, and people were saying on, on, on the thread this week about Sorrell, you know, using his redshirt. Like, there's no way Wetmore would use his redshirt for a 30th place finish. But this guy was only 21st at the regional. And I'm like, of course he would. A 30th place finish is going to win a national title for them. Yep. And that would be three in a row for Sorrell. So <laughs> that would be amazing for the team. So, you know, and then Colorado is going to lose a lot. So next year is going to be a, a real struggle for them. So, anyways, we appreciate everyone listening in. It should be a fantastic day. Um, get on there. Give us your thoughts in the official live discussion thread. Um, you know, I personally used to like to meet on a Monday. People had to sneak in on the Let's Run to type about the meet. It's Saturday, though. You've got nothing to hide. You can, well, unless your wife's trying to get you to take the kids out or something like that. But it should be exciting. It is a great day. John, I am looking out now in the corner, and there are some dark clouds. So it's possible there could be some rain before the men. It's also pretty sunny right now. Uh, so. But they only take one thunderstorm. But I don't think it's going to be a, a mud bath. That's going to make it tough, a little bit tougher for Colorado. But it should be a fantastic day. 2005 NCAA, 2015 NCAA <laughs> cross country championships. The are taking place in just 14 minutes with right. the women. And get to the start line, Robert. Wrap this thing up. Uh, John's trying to go to the tailgate, find a beer, I think. But uh, have fun, everybody, and we'll be back to you after the meet's over.